You're listening to episode 38. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Grace on Fire. I am pumped up today, super excited to be with you wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this. You know, I got a great message from a friend who said that she downloaded the podcast and listened to him uh, on a flight that she was a part of and she was by herself and she said that, um, and I don't want to out her, so, um, but she said that it was just like a familiar voice and hey, you know who you are, who I'm talking to. Thank you so much for your words of encouragement. I opened up my phone that morning, saw your text message, and I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Anyways, and I'm hearing great feedback from all of you. Thank you so much for the feedback. You know, this show, this show is all about you. It's about you. It's about whatever your challenges are, and you know, I'm just honored that you would take the opportunity to listen today. And what are we on to today? Well, let me ask you a question. Has your faith grown stagnant? Has your faith grown stagnant? You know, I got to tell you an honest, this is just honest truth. All right. I'm at a place in my life right now and I can't tell you why, but there are certain kind of churches when I go into them, I just feel incredibly like blah, whatever, especially when they have like lights and smoke machines. I have no idea why. I just go into like the light, you know, like the show. I, I talk about this in my church a lot at Redeemer. I talk about, you know, one of the reasons why we don't have lights and fog machines is because I just, I'm like, I don't need the show. I don't want the show. It feels inauthentic to me. If I want to go to a show, I'm going to go to a show because there's a whole lot better shows out there than what most churches can do. Now, I know there are huge churches out there with like 20,000 people with like, you know, the mega pastor, like Uber pastor. And, you know, that's cool. I mean, they're doing something. I applaud them. But at my point in my life, what I have found is just, that just doesn't connect for me. There are other things that do. And what I think is happening partly as a result of the Uber churches out there is I think that part of the problem is, is that it is starting to, you know, stagnate some people's faith. In other words, you go, this is what happens, okay? So you go to church and you experience this incredible thing, right? And you're like super, you know, wow, I'm super pumped up. And then, you know, Monday hits, right? And then Monday kind of, you know, well, I'm still great on, you know, on, on, on Sunday. And then Tuesday hits. And then you're like Wednesday, oh, it's hump day, woo And then Thursday and then Friday. And then by Friday evening, you're just totally gassed. You don't have any energy left. And the last thing you can remember is, yeah, I went to church Sunday, but I don't really remember what he said. You know, it's true that, 80 to 90% of a, what a pastor says on Sunday morning, you will forget 24 hours later. That's why I'm doing this show, because what I can do is I can record this. You can go back to it if you like. All the notes are there, and you can just keep going back, because what I'm interested in, if you want the higher purpose life, if you want a life crafted by higher purpose, marked by a destiny, then it's going to take more work than just showing up on Sunday and getting your fix, because ultimately, that's what we're doing, right? We're showing up to church, we're looking for a fix, and we're not getting our fix and then we think, oh, just it's, you know, it's just not really speaking to me. 
and, and as a pastor, can I just like, okay, I'm going to vent for just a moment. As a pastor, when I hear Jesus speaking to me, I'm like, are you kidding me? It's not about you. Somehow we've made church about you. Not you, not the Grace Nation, because I can tell you about the Grace Nation. What I know about you and you're listening is that you're looking for something deeper. You're looking for something more. You're looking for something more authentic or you wouldn't be listening to what I have to say because what I'm going to do is I'm going to push your boundaries of spiritual formation because I do believe deep down inside, listen to Grace Nation, this is what I believe deep down inside that the more challenging life is, the more productive and happier you will be. But if you get stuck in a rut because either you're getting sloppy in certain parts of your life or you're just, you know, you're just not doing the necessary things, the basic things to continue to cultivate your spiritual life, you are going to start to decline because what is not challenged, what is not being uh, focused on begins to erode. That's just life. Just look at your house. I mean, listen, we bought a house and I'm ranting a little bit because we got to get into the show, but I bought this house and this house was 34 years old and uh, an older couple had it and they just couldn't take care of the house. This is not a uh, a slam on them, by the way. They just couldn't take care of the house. Anyways, had a pool deck on it and on this pool deck was or surrounded by this pool deck was outside were trees and there was about 30 or 40 trees that had grown around this deck. So I cut all those trees back and then I began to notice something. I started digging around on the the, uh, the deck itself and I noticed, hey, this deck actually goes underneath the soil. And so I started digging a little bit more. And I was like, oh, it, it's going even more. Believe it or not, over eight to 10 inches of sediment and debris and leaves and decay had grown, that had accumulated on the deck. It had covered about six feet of deck. And uh, trees had actually started growing on top of the deck. Now, these trees weren't just short trees. These trees were 25 to 30 feet tall. They weren't like huge like big thick oaks or something like that, but they were super tall. And after I cut all those trees down, I noticed that the accumulation of dirt and debris over the years had completely swallowed up a portion of the deck. And I spent probably a good three weeks just working on clearing that deck. And that's what happens in our lives. We start seeing all of this stuff accumulate. So we're, we're, I'm preaching a little bit up front, but what I'm trying to do is to grab your attention today. If your faith has become stagnant, what are we going to do to recharge your spiritual disciplines? How are we going to set those spiritual disciplines on fire? And listen, there is no magic potion to this. These are disciplines, i.e. work. All right? The, the Holy Spirit moment will come. Those God moments will come. I promise you. But we've got to do the basic works. All right. So let me give you a couple other updates here. We're going to get into those uh, in the very end. Um, but what I wanted to give you a heads up on was a personal miracle that I've experienced with my wife. Now, last week I told you in that I had recorded a show. Thank you so much for your grace on that one. And basically was scattered brained all over. My emotional intelligence was whacked out. But <laughs> but um, my wife had surgery uh, over a week ago. And, um, you know, it's been amazing recovery. It's been two weeks since she had that that surgery. And I mean, it's just it's just been an absolutely amazing recovery. And I just give I just give thanks to God for this because she's up moving around. You, I mean, when you think about neck surgery, you would think uh, she's going to be immobilized and all this. No, 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 no. 
The surgery was so non-invasive. I mean, it wasn't invasive surgery, but it was so non-invasive in the extent that they went through the front of her neck. She only has about an inch and a half scar where they were able to do this micro procedure where they literally replaced the disc in in the neck and slipped them in, slipped them out, did a few little polishing up on the bone, straightened everything out, and she's up moving around. It's a miracle. I think it's a miracle. I mean, yeah, she still has a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of pain, but I just got to say this much. For those of you who were praying for us and and you were just reaching out, I just want to say thank you because it's been an incredible journey. All right, just kind of moving on from there. Uh, we're going to get into some street theology. I want to talk about a little bit about the gospel-centered life. Also, I have a really cool tip of the week for you, something that I'm asking and inviting you in to participate. And then we're going to get into recharging our big four disciplines. All right, let's go. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And we're going to get into some street theology here today. Listen, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? Now, if you're part of a Reformed church like I am, and you're part of, you hang out with Reformed circles, um, for those of you who don't know what I mean by Reformed, think Calvinist. Uh, a lot of times we talk about being gospel-centered. Now, listen, I'm not like a weirdo Calvinist. There are a lot of those out there. I, I strive not to be. I actually prefer the term gospel-centered. And, and today, what I want to do is kind of talk with you about a lunch that I had with a parishioner of mine. And so... We, I have a standing lunch with this guy, and I've been doing this now for three years with him, and he's a great guy, but he's got some real struggles in his life. And so he came in, and, you know, he's a little bit downtrodden. And, um, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, I'm just so sick and tired. Why do I still have this sin? And, he you know, he's got a, a besetting sin. He's got some sexual addiction issues that we're working through. And um, I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I have found that within Christianity, all right, that within Christianity, basically people walk between two between two spectrums, all right. If we could think of our, if we could think about this on a continuum, to the far right is one, and to the far left is the other, and then in the middle is this gospel-centered idea, okay. And on each of these poles, all right, on each of the spectrum is the spectrum of legalism. Think Pharisees, and then also universalism, which is the opposite, which is you know basically it's all God's grace. I can do whatever, and that's what we do. And so for many of us, many Christians especially, what we struggle with, if you tend to be a little bit more on the legalist side, you know, you're just looking at life and you're sitting here thinking, ah, yeah, I know that I know I'm saved by grace, but I just I just can't get over my sin. I just can't get past this. And why do I do this? And and you're just just down on yourself because you just can't break free from whatever is holding you back. And and so when you hear messages and, you know, gospel preachers like myself and, and you hear that message, oh, the liberating power yes i need liberation that's what i need and yet no matter how hard you try to um you know get liberty it just doesn't seem to happen and part of that i think is because there are many of us uh particularly if you were grew up from a more fundamentalist background where you heard how much god hated sin all the time and how awful you were and how uh, incredibly uh, terrible person you are and how you need to feel bad about everything in your life, you're going to tend towards legalism. I had a friend, he is a seminary 
professor. He is, um, I'm not going to tell you exactly who he is because I'm hoping to uh, get him on the show. By the way, you know, I try to, I try to uh, protect confidentiality. I try to protect confidentiality on the show. So if you share something with me, I'm not just going to go put your name out there. But this guy was talking to me, and we've been we've been talking, and and he was a professor of mine at one point, and um, which that doesn't tell you anything because I've been to four different seminaries. But we were just chatting, and, and he was sharing this basic same thing. He was saying, you know, I grew up in such a fundamentalist background that I constantly felt terrible about myself, and so he lived the first half of his half of his life just feeling terrible and guilt ridden and, and you know and he would feel guilty about all kinds of things and he even reported himself to the police over something i, I listened to him, i laughed i thought really wow dude that is some serious serious legalism that you have there and um but then you have the opposite side now there is a church literally within two miles of my house and the church is called Grace Church. And uh, that doesn't tell you anything else because, you know, there's Grace Churches all over the place, right? And I love the name Grace Church. It's great. Grace Church. But they are the ones who are really promoting, yeah, man, it's all God's grace. And it doesn't really matter how you live because you're covered in grace. And you just need to be free and just take all your guilt and shame and everything and just take it all and put it away. And I listen to that. I love that. I mean, like, yes, grace. Grace wins. And I am all about God's grace. And I think it's important because, listen, if you came out of the legalist side, you're going to want to go towards the universalist side because it's attractive, right? God's not pissed off at you anymore. Oops, can I say that? I don't know. Um, please don't send me a message about that. My language, by the way, can get rather salty when it comes to theology. But anyways, so this, this preacher, he's all grace, 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 grace. But then I noticed something. This is what I noticed. I just noticed that he started saying, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or whatever. I'm like, uh-uh, woo, wait, huh? What, what was that? It doesn't matter. Well, I think the Bible kind of says, you know, that's wrong. Oh, no, man, because we're covered in grace. Is that really what the Bible teaches? You see, here's the problem. On the one end, you've got legalism. On the other uh, end of the spectrum is universalism. And they always are going out of balance constantly, constantly. Because you have to keep coming back to this gospel-centered idea. That's what we're talking about, being gospel-centered. It's looking to the spectrum of legalism and understanding that there is a standard by which God holds us to, but there's also the universalism that says that God has certainly forgiven you and declared you righteous. All right, but that you have to hold the two together, meaning that universalism is right in a sense as it goes so far to say, yes, the universality of God's grace, of his forgiveness is open to all. However, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the legalists are correct. You need to acknowledge your need of a savior. And so the universalists go too far and the legalists don't go far enough. And so how do we reconcile all of this? Well, one of my favorite Bible passages, and I'm telling you, this is honestly, when I read this passage, I get pumped up. I get pumped up so much because first of all, I love the fact that Paul is so honest. This comes out of Romans 7, all right? Paul is so honest here. I mean, I can just sit, I could like, you know, it's like Paul's in an AA meeting right at this point. I mean, this is like a total AA moment. Hi, my name is St. Paul, and I'm an alcoholic. Listen to what he writes, okay? He says in Romans 7, verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, 
I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Let me tell you something. Try to lose weight. When you're a fat guy like me and you're trying to lose weight and Krispy Kreme runs their Hot Donuts Now ad, you're like, it's like moths to flame. Oh, Hot Donuts Now. There I go. Another, Another day of not losing weight. Paul goes on. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, is he letting himself off the off the hook here? Now, that's an interesting question, verse 17, because he's like, hey, it's not my problem, man. Yeah, I ate the donuts, but it's not my problem. But this thing's sinning me. I, you know, what, what can I do? What can I do? Is he passing the buck? No, I don't think he's doing that. I think what he's trying to do is to acknowledge that there is something inside him that is working actively against his best intentions. Stephen Pressfield in his book, The War of Art, talks about this. He calls it resistance. I think it's the exact same idea. This is an ancient idea. No matter how hard I want to do something, there is something that's going to set itself against it. And no matter how well-intentioned I am, I must acknowledge it. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now, is he saying there's nothing good, you know, that we should just be completely despondent about ourselves? No, not at all. Because what he talks about here is that Paul will use words like flesh and spirit to show the dichotomy inside the person's soul, okay? So he's talking about this carnal person. He's not talking about like your physical bones and flesh. He's talking about this this unregenerate person, all right? That unregenerate, that's kind of a churchy word. The idea here is that um, we we all are comprised of two different things, of, of, of flesh and spirit, all right? And so he's saying that the sin, it is a, it's inside of us, okay? And even though my intention, my spirit is to do something opposite, I'm still struggling with this thing. And, it, you know, and so it's there. Now, he goes on to say, for I, I know that nothing dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So regardless, regardless of how well-intentioned he is, he can't do it. Ooh, uh-oh, uh-oh, he can't. He says, I don't have the ability to do it. This is where the legalist gets into trouble, okay? Because a legalist will say, you just need to muster up the spiritual disciplines. Uh-uh, it takes more. And we're gonna figure out, and Paul's gonna tell us what it is, all right? All right, so he says, for I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it. Now, he's already said that. He said that in verse 17. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says that twice. He says in verse 17, and he says it in verse 19. So he's really packing a punch here. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That is, I look at the law of God. It's perfect. It delights the soul. It's what Psalms 19 says. For the law of the Lord is perfect. For I delight in the law of God, verse 22. But I see in my members another law 
waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Okay, then this here is the great confession of Paul, verse 24. Here he is. He's in an AA meeting in the ancient world. He can't stop drinking. Pulls up, gets in with a meeting. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gets into verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, here is grace. Ready? Here's the gospel. Hang on. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, if you're listening to this at this point, you may have picked up a slight little nuance in my voice. And that's because at this point, as I was recording this, believe it or not, my recorder stopped and I actually recorded the rest of the show. And so what I'm going to do is to try to pick up on my original thought that I recorded 20 minutes of and to try to finish out the show. So bear with me here if things kind of get a little strange here because I'm having to recharge my brain. But here it is now. Okay, are you ready? So here is Paul and he's laying out this incredible doctrine, this incredible doctrine of where he has the law of sin. He talks about the law of his mind. He talks about um, the law of God. I mean, Paul throws around the ideas of law here several times, and it can be really confusing. But here's the thing to think about, okay? Here's the thing about Paul's talking about in terms of principles, okay? Principles. It's like the principle of sin or the the principles of God. In in, in English, we, we sort of use the word law because it is. You cannot get out from underneath the law of sin, no matter how hard you try. Paul talks about it. He doesn't have the ability to do it. He says that. So let's just say this for example. Okay, so let's say that um, you're a food addict like I am, okay? And uh, you just look at that piece of cake, you're like, oh, that looks so good. And you, 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 you reach out for it. There's something inside of you for the food addict or some other addicts, whatever it is, that you just can't help do it. You know what? Gossip. Some of you struggle with gossip in such a way where you just, oh, I just can't wait. Oh, what kind of weird, you know, thing is he going to say now or you've like tabloids you know for you know there's if you see preachers that are failing morally and you just want to follow them i mean and you say oh what's next what's next what's next what's whatever okay there's different things in our lives that are at work against us it could be anger you just might have a rage problem where you feel good about raging i've always thought that was kind of a weird thing until i recognized i had a little bit of an anger problem in my own life and I had to work through that before it destroyed my family. It's a true story. Hey, I'm, I, listen, I'm going to keep it real here on the show because I feel like you need to know that I'm a real person who has all kinds of real problems. I mean, I got all the good stuff, but I don't want to go into that right now. But here's the point of what I'm trying to make here, okay? Are you ready? When we look at the legalism universalism, 
All right, we look at that spectrum. To be gospel-centered is to understand that both in one way are true. Legalism, it talks about how the fact that you can never measure up and that you're not good enough and that there is nothing that you can do. This is true. Universalism says, you know, that God's grace is radical and liberating and free, and therefore you do not feel the need to feel the guilt and shame. The problem is, is that when you, you know, when the universalist looks at the legalist and basically evacuates or rejects everything they have to say, then they move into this radical weird place where all of a sudden, hey, it doesn't matter if you're gay. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're looking at porn. It doesn't matter if you're doing self-destructive things. Why? Because you're covered in grace. It doesn't work that way. In fact, if you read the Gospels and you go back and you read through the Gospels over and over and over again, you see Jesus calls people to a standard over and over again. And he keeps telling you, he even says, he even goes so far, he says, you be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. And I'm like, hello, Jesus. Sorry, forget that. I'm not in the perfect club. And that's where the gospel kicks in. So I don't know about you, but I'm not in the perfect club. In fact, I'm in the screwed up club. And I pretty much am the president and the chairman of the screwed up club. Because I look at my life and I do have a tendency to go towards the legalist side. But I can also go to the other way. I've been at the other place where it doesn't matter. I just do whatever I want. And that's not a good place too. You know why? Because you're still in bondage. You're actually still in bondage to the same things that you were struggling with and get upset with on the legalist side. You're just, you're just removing all the power. You see, when you evacuate God's standards in life, when you evacuate God's law in this life, you're actually evacuating all of his structured processes that are designed to help protect you. And I think that that's the problem. And we look at these things, we look at them, we say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter. Oh, I didn't realize that, you know, hey, if I cover for my neighbor's stuff, that what it's going to do is put me in bondage and perhaps even debt because then I try to go out after it or try to attain it for myself or even worse, you know, you end up in having an affair with somebody because you're coveting their wife. I mean, think about what the law of God does. It protects you. Or when the law of God says, you shall worship no other God except for me, and so that means that you're not worshiping your job or some other self-destructive things. Listen, the law of God is perfect. It, you know, it, that's what Psalms 23 is saying. But what we don't want to do is to fall into the self-loathing trap of the legalist or the hyper-grace, you know, it doesn't matter, no standards, free for all of the universalists. No, we want to be gospel-centered. Because as gospel-centered people, what we find is that we're healthier, we're stronger, we're able to, to deal with more of the problems in life, and our reactions can become far more measured because we understand how God's grace is effectively working inside each and every one of our hearts. And I think that's the critical piece of all of this. I think that's the critical piece is to understand that God's grace isn't just so you get out of hell free card. God's grace is his power that's what Romans 1.16 talks about. God's grace is God's power working inside of you to help you overcome the law of sin and death through the law of the spirit of life. And it's part of that interpersonal relationship that we have with God. And I think it's critical. I think it's critical that we understand and acknowledge that. And so what I want to encourage you today is that as you're developing out your gospel-centered life, I mean, that's my vision for this podcast. I just want to see the gospel-centered life just going out through all of Christianity. I think it's, I think it's the gospel message that has been Orthodox Christianity for 2,000 years. 
and we just get it wrong and we see all kinds of of uh, extremes on one end or the other and it in in Christianity is is full of extremes it's full of extremes but when you understand what the gospel is truly and then you begin to understand the message of Jesus Christ what you fully realize is that the gospel centered life is the true life of freedom it's the true life that allows you to begin to develop to begin to develop an understanding of just who God really is and that's what matters to God and now for Smitty's Life Hack Tip of the Week. And so my tip of the week today is actually a little project that I'm working on, okay? And here's my project. I have signed up for Faith Life through uh, the Faith Life Corporation. Now, the Faith Life app, it's on your iPhone. You can also get it online. Um, and here's a link. You can go to jonathangsmith.com forward slash Faith Life. But what Faith Life is, is it's a online community. It develops an online community of where you can actually uh, read the Bible together. You can pray together. You can do those basic things. And as I've been thinking about Grace Nation for just a moment, by the way, Grace Nation, that's what I call all of you, Grace Nation. All of my listeners, you are Grace Nation. And as I was thinking about Grace Nation for just a moment, I was thinking, you know, it'd be cool if we had a way to communicate and pray for each other. Now, listen, as soon as I say that, my my immediate red flag goes off and it it's like, okay, now I don't want it to be a gossip thing. I hate that. I really do hate that. But if you're serious about wanting to develop some spiritual disciplines, go check out this app. And there's two things that it will allow you to do. Number one, it'll allow you to create a prayer list. And if you recall from episode 36, where I spent the whole episode just talking about the importance of prayer, one of the things that I talked about was using liturgies. Well, what I've done is in this app, I have created a daily liturgy, daily prayers to pray through. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in the next section. Uh, I'm not going to rehash all episode 36. Go listen to episode 36 for the foundation of prayer on Grace Nation or race on fire. But what I've done is, is, you know, I realized that, hey, if you're like me, you don't want to be pulling through a bunch of resources and trying to pull things together and then go here. You've got a set amount of time. You probably got 15 or 20 minutes in the morning um, and you're looking to say, I just need to do some reading and I need to do some praying. How do I do this? How do I structure this? Go download this app and I'm setting these things up for you. So what, what you're going to see here is if you do this, let's see, this episode is going to be this Friday, next Monday, um, the following Monday, which I believe is the 23rd, you will start to see uh, readings posted, daily readings. And these are readings that are designed to take you through the entire year, take, take you through the Bible in an entire year. And it'll allow you to check things off, mark it as read. And what's really good about this app is it allows you to structure that time. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this app. But first of all, go check it out and see if those prayer or, or go check it out and sign up. You'll see it. You'll see uh, the post of the show there as well as links and some other things. So go check that out. The Faith Life app. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And that brings me to my feature presentation. And, you know, and here's the question that I'm basically asking today. And that is, how do you recharge the big four disciplines? Now, go to any church, go to evangelical church in America and throughout the world. 
you're going to have different emphases that they're going to put. You go to charismatic and say, you got to you know, pray in the spirit and, and all that kind of stuff. Or if you go to you know a good reformed church that's big on the Westminster Confession, they're going to tell you to read the, the shorter and larger catechisms in the Western Confession, blah, 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 blah. You know, if you go to an Anglican church, they're going to talk about, you know, reading the daily office that we talk about. But there's basically four basic things that the, that the Christian life is centered around. And here they are. You ready? It's prayer, reading your Bible, attending church, and generosity, or giving your money. All right? Those four things. No matter what church you go to, all across America, they're all going to have different theologies. They're all going to have different emphases. They're all going to tell you what's important, what's not important. But at the core of all of them, all four of them, all of them are going to talk about these four disciplines. Prayer, reading your Bible, attending church, and giving your money. And so the question is, you know, if those four things start to go, what's going to happen to your Christian walk? And the answer is, is it's going to stagnate. It's just this. If you're not doing those four things, or if you're not doing three out of those four things, the truth of the matter is, if you're not doing all four things, there's going to be some part of your life that is going to stagnate. It's just simply going to happen. Because these are disciplines. These are disciplines. And so I want to start with these I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about prayer, but I wanted to give you a prayer, the typical evangelical prayer, and I want to pick it apart. And then what I want to do is to give you an alternative and why I think the alternative is much better. Okay? So here it is. Are you ready? Father God, we just thank you for this day blessed Father. And Father God, we just ask you to be with us. And, and Father God, we just we just want to praise your holy name for the many blessings you bestow upon us. And, and Father God, and, and Father God, we just we just ask you to touch us and, and Father, touch us deeply. And, and Father God, we just we just come to you now to bring in our petitions before the throne of grace. Dear God, and, and Father, you know, just heal, uh, you know, Aunt Maybe and, and, and just, you know, we just pray and we just pray for her husband who's just cheating on her and, and is drinking too much and, you know, he's a flanderer and good for nothing. Amen. How many times have you heard that prayer in church? Let me just ask you. I mean, be honest. Be honest. I hate Father God prayers. Now, I pray to the Father because I believe that's biblical, so don't don't hear me say anything to the contrary. But listen to that prayer. It actually doesn't say anything at all. It just doesn't. It doesn't say anything at all. It, li- listen to the prayer again, okay? It, it says, we just thank you for this day. Great. And then it says, we ask you to be with us. He is. We just want to praise your name. Then do it. For the many blessings you bestow upon us. Which ones? And we just ask you to touch us. Where? Oh, no, just touch us deeply. How? And just come to you now to bringing your petitions, uh, bringing our petitions before the throne of grace. Which ones? You see the problem with this prayer? It's a nothing prayer. It's religious speak. It's just religious talk. That's all it is. It's just religious talk. Now listen, all right, listen to that prayer for just a moment and think about that prayer. And now let's compare it to a different prayer. This is a prayer that I've put together for Grace on Fire. All right? Are you ready for this? All right, let me just pull it up here in my Logos Bible software. Okay, so here it is. I had to go look it up. Most merciful God, I have confessed 
that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by why I, by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved you. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Now think about that prayer and then think about the previous prayer that I just read to you, okay? Think about the liturgy here. This is where liturgy is is just uber powerful. I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Thought, word, and deed. It's comprehensive. Think about that. You could just you could just parse out those things. Think about your thoughts. Think about your thought life. Guys, think about all the women that you've been lusting after. Or men. You know, think about that for just a moment. How many times throughout the day, I mean, how many times throughout the day have you committed lust over something or you've coveted something? And how many times do you actually confess that? You know, I probably do it more than I care to acknowledge on here on the show, but at least I can come back to this prayer and then pause for a moment and say, you know, what have been my thoughts? Sometimes it's just anxiety and fear. Sometimes it's simply not trusting God. And then think about this. I have confessed, I confess I have sinned against you in thought word by things that I have said, statements on faith that I might have made or or things that I that I, I might have said to my spouse. I can't tell you how much sin flies out of my mouth, especially the sin of, of unbelief, the sin of where I just don't believe God will do something. Or, you know, think about this deed by what I've done. I might have hurt somebody or I might have not helped where I could have things that I've left undone. You know, that is, is, you see the power of this and you see, and then it goes on to say, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as ourselves. What does that phrase actually mean? That phrase actually comes from the great commandment where when the Pharisees were confronting Jesus about what law was the most important in the Mosaic Code, he responds this way. He says, here's the greatest commandment, to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm paraphrasing that. But that's what it's talking about. That here we are, we in the greatest command, the greatest command to love God that I even haven't loved God. And then it goes on to that confession, I'm truly sorry and I humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Here it is, appealing to Christ and the promise that we have in forgiveness. Have mercy on me and forgive me. Is that legalism? Absolutely. It's acknowledging that the law of God has has actually convicted you of sin. But then it goes on to say, they may delight in your will and walk your ways to the glory of your name. Knowing what Paul, this goes back to what Paul was saying, I cannot do it. I do not have the ability to do it. And then what I do is I talk about embracing the gospel message of insurance. Merciful God, grant to me your faithful child, pardon and peace, that I may be cleansed from all my sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, I just love this. Here's another one that you could you could pray. Father, I draw comfort from your promise that if I confess my sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, here is the difference between that prayer, the two prayers that I've prayed, 
All right, they don't take that long to pray, actually. But here's it: there's those two prayers and then the Father God prayers. They're specific. And so I think that when we get into the spiritual disciplines, what we fail to realize is, and I think it's part of the church's fault, that we've so emphasized the, uh, you know, sort of the experiential aspect of our faith, of just experiencing the Holy Spirit, of opening the Bible and thinking that the Holy Spirit is just going to pop up and say, hey, here's your grace for the day, and, and then have some kind of magic moment that we have forgotten that there's a discipline aspect to our Christian lives. So that if we neglect these disciplines, then we're actually missing out on the opportunities. So here we have this idea. So prayer, reading your Bible, attending the church, giving your money, right? Trying to recharge these big four disciplines, how do you do it? And the answer is, is you have to begin to cultivate specific habits and behaviors. And it's hard work. And you have to do it. And you have to realize that there's going. as soon as you begin to do it, resistance is going to kick in. The law of sin is going to kick in. And it's going to work hard against you to keep you from doing that. I am a pastor. I can tell you, as a pastor, I get paid to do these kinds of things. And I still struggle with this. In fact, sometimes it's even harder because I'm so busy. And I have all kinds of things that I'm doing. But it's critical. And so I'm using these tools now to really begin to cultivate and to shape these behaviors. Okay, so how do you do this? Well, first of all, you start with structured prayer. I've already said that. But listen, don't pray stupid prayers. Pray smart prayers. Be specific and measurable. And don't do a lot of God talk, all right? You know, go on to uh, the Faith Life app. You can pray the liturgies that I've put on there for you. I'll also put these right here on the show notes. But here's the idea, you know, pray a structured prayer. And if you pray in tongues, then pray in tongues. But pray structured prayers first. You have to teach yourself to pray. That's what Jesus did. He prayed the Lord's Prayer. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, this is how you do it. He didn't say, okay, just sit there for a moment and allow the Spirit just to come in until you feel his presence and then do something. No. He said, this is how you should pray. This isn't rocket science. Sometimes, you know, we, uh, I think of the church, particularly ministers, is that we overthink these things. And use common language. Just use your prayers. God, I'm upset with my kids. They're driving me crazy. Can you please help me figure out what to do? That's a prayer. That's absolutely a prayer. So pray those prayers. Be real. Use real language. And, and pray to God just as you would talk to someone else. But understand that you're talking to God. The second thing here is structure your reading. Listen, you're never going to read the Bible unless you have a plan. The Bible's too big, it's too complex, it's too confusing. You have to have a disciplined reading program. And we call them in the church called lectionaries. And lectionaries have been around for hundreds of years. And what we do is that they're just structured readings. And they're designed to help you really digest a very thick, books and many books, 66 books in general, over a period of time. Don't worry if you don't understand it. That's not the point. The point here is to allow the Spirit the opportunity to teach you by constant, constant, constant ingestion of the Word. Listen, for those of you who like to run or or work out, you know that you never get to where you want to be overnight. You never get there. It's discipline daily just picking up these daily exercises so you need to structure your reading but don't have the expectation that you're going to walk away with it with some amazing sermon like the preacher down the street 
No, the whole point here is just to cover it, to get familiar with it, to understand you will be amazed at what's in the Bible. So many people have never read the Bible. Just read the Bible and then see what it has to say and then understand what it doesn't say. That's the scary thing. I'm going to tell you something. When you actually read the Bible and then you actually figure out what it has to say and then you hear what other people say it says and you're like, um, well, I don't think that's in my Bible. That's eye-opening. Let me just tell you that. And then find a church. Now, listen, I'm just going to tell you right now. There are those in the world today uh, people that I've interacted with, people that I just look up to and I think they're the bee's knees, they're subject matter experts in their field and I think they're incredible. And then if I ask them about their faith, they say they're Christians, they're like, yeah, we bailed out of church um, because we don't believe in the institutional church. I'm just gonna go on the record and say that's selfish and it's misguided, all right? You need to be in a local body. There's no such thing as autonomous Christians. The enemy will pick you off like you, nobody's business why is that? Because we're built on relationships. We're built on interpersonal relationships. We're built on community. You must be a part of a community. And no, your wife and kids are not your community. They can be a part of your community. Certainly, they are part of your immediate household. But if you're a man, you need to be around other men. And it doesn't matter if they are, you know, getting it right, whether or not they're spiritual, you know, giants or whatever. You need to be around other men doing life together and being committed. And so find a gospel center church and go. It doesn't matter if you don't get anything out of the message. I just got to tell you, all right, I'm going to vent for just one moment. Here's another vent. All right, here's my rant, okay? I get so tired of listening to people, I didn't get anything out of it. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not here to give you something so you can get something out of it. Do you know as a pastor, there are times when I've preached messages and I don't even get anything out of it. Why? Because it wasn't about me. You know what? I say, pastor, you didn't get anything out of your own messages? Well, you, you must be terrible. No, you don't understand what I'm saying. There's very often times when I'm preaching a message or teaching something and I very well may understand exactly what it's saying, but somebody else is hearing something differently. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. Somebody will come to me after the service and they'll say, you know, you said this and God really spoke this to me in my heart and I heard this. I'm like, that really didn't have anything to do with the sermon at all. And, and my response is, that's great that you've experienced that. But imagine if that person wasn't in church. You got to be in community. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Uh-oh, even back here in the first century church, there was a habit of people not going to church. There it is. But why should you meet together? But encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near what day is that that is the promised return of jesus christ the final judgment you see you're not there to just get something out of it you are there to encourage other people and i gotta tell you something as a pastor especially there is nothing more encouraging than when i see people walk through the door 
And I, I'm afraid that what's happened in the church in America, especially, is that we've become so accustomed to not going to church and being autonomous and doing our own thing and sort of living our own lives that what we've actually done is we've lost out on the realize, realization that physical presence still matters. This is why I call myself a virtual pastor. I am not your pastor. I'm a virtual pastor, and my job here is to point you to your pastor, to find a pastor. You know, he's probably going to be imperfect. He's probably going to say things you don't agree with. He's probably going to say things I don't agree with. Love him, pray for him, and give him a high five that he showed up every Sunday and preached, because I'm going to tell you something, it's hard. It's hard work to be a pastor. I'm not your pastor. I'm a virtual pastor. My job here is to kind of help you fill in the gaps here, but these are the things that you've got to do. Don't neglect your local church. Find a gospel-centered church and go. And then finally, cultivate generosity. You know, Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, it is better to give than to receive. I have to tell you this, that what I find is so critical, especially for the life, the self-fulfilled life, is this, that when you begin to give your money away, you know, to the church and to other people, there is something that does that cannot replace that feeling that comes with it. There is a feeling that comes with it where you're just like, wow, I'm investing into something that matters, something that's eternal, something that's greater. And what that ultimately is is called the kingdom of God. Why wouldn't you invest into the kingdom of God? Why wouldn't you be generous? Why wouldn't you take that money that you're only a steward over for a small amount of time on planet Earth for a little while why not take that and steward it into the kingdom of God? It's an incredible opportunity. So those are the four things. Structure your prayer, structure your reading, attend church, and begin to cultivate generosity. Those are the basics. But if you can focus on those four things, then what I think will happen in your life is that you will begin to see your grace on fire taking place. Your spiritual life will be set on fire. And that brings me to the end of Grace on Fire. Thank you so much for listening. And now, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit jonathangsmith.com slash graceonfire.